And for those who are still with us, I want to dig a little bit into VJ's thoughts on some other matters, including his career shifts and also social uh, media overwhelm or disillusionment. So I'm rejoined by VJ, VJ Sankar, who's in his home office. Phoenix, what's up? Phoenix, indeed. Looks hot. A very warm and toasty Phoenix. Yeah, it looks hot. Yeah. So VJ, you're in the funny, awkward position of a lot of people actually follow you in your career with a lot of interest. Now we have a series of moves to contemplate because you you were heavily at SAP, then MongoDB, and now back to IBM. What are we to make of of this transition? Have you put together a narrative where it all makes sense now, or no? It, it, there is no narrative. I keep trying to tell people that uh, please don't do what I do uh, <laughs> because I there there is no rhyme or reason for for many of these things, and you know it. There is no guarantee that this, uh, you know, comes out successful at the end. But that said, um, my dad worked at the same company for almost all his career. And then after he left that company, worked for another company for just a very short period of time and then retired. And that was true for pretty much everyone I knew growing up that, um, you know, most people just worked for one company all their life. At best, like two companies. And people who worked at two companies were the ones that everybody looked at with some suspicion, as in, you know, this guy can't be really that good if he if he couldn't make a career at one company. I think the times have definitely changed. Right? I have had five or six employers in the whatever seventeen years or so that I've been in the workforce, and you know that's just the nature of the uh, nature of times now, right? I mean, it's uh, it's the employees market for for the most part and if you're if you're good at what you do you have a lot more freedom in life for me you know i have a certain set of characteristics that i need in my workplace to um, to be efficient and when or forget efficient to be effective and when i find that i'm i cannot have that working for me and this it could be a, a variety of things more often than not it, it has got nothing to do with money or titles because if you, if you look at the past few jobs, I mean, titles was good. You know, I can, uh, I cannot complain about the money either. Right? I mean, those were all good, which is the reason why I joined those companies. But there are hundreds of other factors that come in. Right? There are realignments, new managers, new directions, and so on, where you have two choices. Either um, you compromise on what you want to do with your time or, um, or you move on. To, to the next available opportunity. And I, I lay it down, uh, you know, very early before the next employer, you know, I, I definitely have nothing to hide. You can ask me all the questions on what worked and what didn't work in the last employer. And if you think that I'm not the right guy for you, please, please don't hire me because I don't want you to uh, ever feel bad or ever have like a bias remorse. Um, and this is the same thing when I interview people, right? I give them a very fair shot. I have no problems if you change to your employer 1500 times. If you can explain and it makes sense to me, you're in. I have no problems whatsoever. But I have several colleagues, several friends who have a problem with people who have shifted employers in the past. It's it's a mindset problem, right? I mean, it's a, it's a very personal thing. I have no issues with that. I, If things don't work out, I have no problems going, going to another employer and saying, okay, these are the reasons why it didn't work last time. Uh, what I can do? Can you can you find me a job? Right. So, uh, 
I don't encourage anybody else to take that, uh, you know, take that route. It, it may or may not work for you. Thankfully, you know, God's grace, it has worked for me. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's what it is. All right. So don't try these career moves at home, folks. Um, but, but PJ, there's, there's something interesting that I think you've raised in these, in the story there, which is that I think we're reaching a point in our careers where loyalty often works against us, right? In the sense that we're conditioned to be loyal to our institutions that we're affiliated with. Yeah. And unfortunately the reality of today's workplace is that you have to learn how to keep that sense of devotion in check, right? Because the fact of the matter is that a lot of these institutions, while they might support our growth at certain points, you know that they're also going to act with ruthless efficiency when the time comes as well, right? Whether it's uh, an acquisition or a change in leadership or whatever. So it puts us in a position where we have to learn how to I I hate to use the word ruthless, but I feel like we have to learn how to be a little more ruthless about our own careers in that regard. Yeah, so I can't argue against that. That's a a very fair point. The way I look at this, I don't always look at the company per se. I look at who I'm going to work for, right? So the leaders that I will have in the new company influence me way more than um, the company itself. I mean, the company, I mean, the company is just a legal entity, right? It is represented by its leaders. And if I don't feel comfortable with the leaders, my loyalty is to a company that is represented by people, which essentially means I'm loyal or not to people. I mean, it might sound rather crazy, but that's how it, it works out in real life. When people say, I love IBM or I love SAP, they're essentially saying they love the management chain that they have, their leadership team and the colleagues they get to work for and the people who work for them. It's the people that, that really matter at the end of the day. That same set of people worked at another company, you probably will still like that company. Right? This is how we form our opinions. Right? It's not an abstract entity. There is no such thing as, like a, it's not a machine, right? That it's, it's a set of people. And the same set of things apply to you as an individual. You have to take your own decisions and be at peace with it. A lot of people don't, right? We try to fit into this, um, you know, large picture that somebody created, either an academician created or the generation before us created. There is no reason to do that. You you are your own person. You can take your own decisions. And you don't really need to conform to, to anything. It's a very free world. If you keep up your skills and there is value to be added, there is always a market. Yeah, that, that brings us into one of our blog conversations because you and I had a couple of things where we sort of spark each other on on our blogs and I had written this reaction to Amazon and one of my big issues with the New York Times piece and all and not not so much the New York Times piece but how everyone piled on to to condemn Amazon was was basically what you were saying which is that in my in my opinion there's very few evil companies per se it's really more about the the people that you're directly connected with that you're working with and I think you can have a very good experience in many companies where you'd say, oh, you know, someone might say, well, EMC is really struggling right now or HP is struggling right now. That doesn't mean you couldn't have an excellent experience working with the right set of people in those companies. You know? Exactly. 
absolutely the onus is always on the individual at least from my perspective has always been that you make it work or you don't make it work right it's 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 on you all those things you know work life balance job satisfaction all those things are primarily on the individual if you don't like it and you don't have a way to control it free market go go find another gig that where, where you're you're happy about it right? but it it comes back to again the individual in terms of not everybody has options right not everyone is fortunate to have options some people you know it's just happenstance it's just bad luck and you can't discount that so there are many people who for whom you know those options might not exist right you can't you know you might have issues geographically from moving from say phoenix to boston to find a job because you have family here or, or things of that nature but again if you net it out at an abstract level that is an individual's decision it's not that there wasn't a job there was a job and you as an individual weighed the pros and cons and decided uh, this is not the job that i want it's not because there wasn't a market or there is a market somewhere it's a fairly global economy which means there are opportunities elsewhere we just need to be very thorough in in how we evaluate and decide for ourselves you also wrote a piece that i think struck chords with people around some disillusionment with with social media i thought that was particularly interesting because you've been in, you've been heavily involved in social media for a long time now and and it's had an impact on your career and yet there is this this sense of disillusionment what's what's going on there i think over a period of time you know the pressure on having more time for myself uh, is particularly high right so as i grow up in my career and have busier and busier schedules i can't seem to do everything that i was able to do 6 or 7 years ago so that there is definitely that right that's me that's not on social media that's me but there is also how social media gets used which uh, which is pretty tough i mean there are filters available in every social media that i use you know linkedin and facebook and twitter and so on and there are you know internal communities that i am a part of at ibm as well it is very 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 tough to um, to find things that are of value to you and at some point if i suspect that this is not as valuable i don't have the time to tweak the filters all that much so i do it uh, to some degree but then i start doing very binary actions like you know unfollow this person i mean if he might be saying 20% good things and 80% crap i just can't deal with the crap so i'm just going to ignore the 20% and assume that somebody else will retweet that i really care about and then i will find it this is also why i am a huge fan of curated content and you know like you dennis moore and so on this is why i follow but great bigger and i know i've told you a hundred times that if you start charging for it like i will be the first to sign up for this reason there is a lot of value to be had by a person that you trust doing that curation for you i might not pay for a random uh, person doing curation but if i pay for somebody that i respect um, yeah that's a good thing i i will do that i will also tie it to another aspect which is part of my day job as a big data guy if you talk about data lakes one of these uh, interesting aspects of why data lakes became very prominent is the idea that you can extract and load a lot of data into a data lake without worrying about transformations right without adding a lot of meaning to that data 
then the idea is that someday in future when you want to do analysis then you will transform to whatever structures you want and then you you make some meaning out of it the big trouble with with that approach is that sure you will save a lot of cost up front but the people who know the the meaning of data at that time uh, might not exist around you right so people who knew all about what this data meant might have forgotten they have moved to new jobs there are, there are a lot of challenges and when the volume is of that degree that you will throw petabytes of data there are companies i know who handle 100 petabytes of data a day for them curation becomes such an important aspect it is not block curation but it is still data curation right there are human beings assigning meaning to things and finding things that are valuable aided with technology right like for block curation you need at least an rss feed of some sort or something like that right to uh, to at least make a shortlist for you to to do something with it this is true for the larger big data story as well curation is a big part of that and it almost never gets mentioned which is unfortunate yeah it's an interesting use case around around filtering content and i've written a lot about this and you have too and i think the um the thing i find interesting is I make a little distinction between blog content and just social media conversations per se. So for example with blog content, that's one thing where I'm someone I, I curate enterprise news and content and so I select the pieces I think are the best and most important and I often add little highlights, sometimes my own comments and that's a way to track that. There's other tools that you can do that with. There's one I really have been using a lot lately called Dig Deeper, which is pretty neat where it's somewhat of a real-time curation where two or three times a day I'll get pinged with the most tweeted articles amongst my followers, right? And not all of them are on track, but it's kind of a nice another nice way to kind of find out what what content is surfacing. and it's pretty relaxed because i can adjust the frequency and i get like three updates a day so that's pretty manageable so i i feel like on the side of sort of tracking significant blogs and content pretty good but where where i continue to struggle and this gets back to your point is around finding the so-called high signal conversations like the conversations i would have really liked to know about where people didn't think to include me right like if someone you know puts your mention and then then you know you know to go look for it but what if they don't and what if they have okay. a super a super interesting conversation and how to how do you surface that later and that's what i have not been able to figure out in, in some cases i used to do it if there was a very specialized keyword but the problem is a lot of times with things like data lakes or analytics you can't do keyword based uh you know tracking because there's just too much shit out there right so um that's the part that i've really struggled with and i you know facebook and twitter and linkedin have attempt to show you some of the most popular topics that people are talking about but they just miss a lot and that that part of it i haven't been able to figure out and like like you said okay in in your blog post about this you said well i tried to start following a lot less people so you, okay i'm only following 200 people but you admitted in your post that didn't totally solve the problem which makes sense which makes sense because it's not a matter of how many people you follow it's a matter of what are the best and most interesting conversations happening on this topic and i find that that's really really tough 
I don't have a solution to that. Now, so it, interesting that you say that. There is a version of this that we we crack on my on my day job, uh, which is you can do a lot of fancy analytics and find an answer, right? For uh, let's say, what is the best treatment option for headaches that happen between I don't know eleven a.m. and twelve noon in New York, right? It, it, let's say I, I'm just making up a fictitious question. So we, we can define a very specific question for that. We have access to, let's say, all the medical journals, uh, articles ever. Go index that, find three options. And let's say all three came up with roughly one-third odds of that being the right answer. Now, sure, um, you know, you will have now three answers and a human being needs to choose. Um which means it's a it's a crap shot, right? You you're going to choose a, a wrong answer two thirds of the time. But if you use uh, more intelligence, you can also go figure out what other people asked, and what was the answer that they chose, and then your odds of finding the right answer is uh, probably much higher. Yeah. So this is why you know there is a leapfrogging between the. You know the world of predictive analytics, which itself is fairly hyped up, to the next level, which is cognitive analytics, because this is how human beings work, right? I mean, when I am out car shopping, I will go do all the reviews. I will find three cars that I buy, but then there is a human aspect to this, where it also involves other things like, will my wife like it, and will, uh, you know, what did others with similar interests buy? those kinds of aspects like there are a lot more factors that can play into this and make life easy for us in the world of block curation right. that is just your human mind trying to interpret it but when you are right. dealing with questions um, that a company has there is a very similar thought process that goes in which predictive analytics alone cannot solve so we take it to the next level right of of cognitive analytics with a lot more factors playing in and in parallel it's 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 a fascinating world yeah, well, I guess you're at the right company to try to solve that particular issue, assuming you can uh, fire up Watson on the weekend and see what that can do. Oh, yeah, I, I play with Watson a lot. It's it's truly fascinating. You know how enamored I was with Watson when it first came out. I'm still oh, yeah. about just as much excited. <laughs> well, it's an interesting future. I love the challenge of trying to solve those problems. I'm not sure how easy they are to solve because – like you said, there's a very human dimension, you know, to that, that I think yeah. is really hard to predict, you know, like, like, for example, you think of someone who's shopping for cars and they fit a certain demographic. What you don't know is that they have a particular thermos that is their favorite thermos. And if your cup holder doesn't fit the thermos, you know, that, that's exactly. a, it might not be a deal breaker for them, but it's a, it, it, at least it's a factor, right? And, and you have no idea that's influencing the decision. You know, and I think that that's really interesting to try to figure out how it is you accommodate some of those nuances. So I I was at this car dealership this last weekend, and for various reasons, I needed to buy a car that that weekend itself. Um, <laughs> the funny part was, I've already bought from that dealer many years ago, so he had all the information on me. He knew I worked in IBM. He did a bunch of research on me. He was really really. Uh, well prepared to negotiate with me and at the end 
I just walked in, test drove the cars. I said, okay, this is the car that I want. And here is what I'm, I'm going to tell you. I do sales for a living. So do you. So I'm not going to negotiate or haggle price with you. If you give me like one offer, that's like the best you can do. I will either sign the check right now or I'm going to walk out. But either way, I'm not going to haggle. So give me that one price and I'll buy. He made a, an offer like 15 minutes later and I signed like 30 seconds after that. And then, you know, after all the paperwork is over and he was walking me through, you know, all the features of, you know, how I should drive, how I should set up the Wi-Fi and so on. He was telling me, dude, I just wasted like, you know, six days of research trying to find out how to, uh, how to negotiate with you. And you just completely ruined it for me. And if I knew that this is all you would ask. <laughs> so yeah. it's not as an analysis particularly helps in all situations either. No, in that case, knowing how you tick, it's not like researching your LinkedIn profile and stuff would, exactly. would have indicated how you, how you're going to behave in that particular situation. Uh, yeah. I think, I think it, it's it a wonderful challenge. It's a wonderful challenge yeah, it, to try to figure out. It, it, it was very impressive for me to see that a car dealership has systems in place to track buyers and their buying behavior and uh, their LinkedIn profile and found my blog. He found Twitter feed he knew a lot about me, but even then, at the end, you know, there is a degree of uh, human intervention needed to make sense of it, right? I mean, he was very well prepared to, to debate. He knew that I had three dogs. He knew that I had a daughter and a wife, which is not exactly public information. He's not my Facebook friend. He cannot come in and see that. But he pieced together a lot of things. He watched photos on Google Plus and so on, and he pieced together that information. And yet, at the end, uh, it was just me saying, okay, give me this yeah. price and I, I got it. It's, it's, it's a fascinating world we live in. It is, man. It is. And, you know, I've, I've thought about this a lot and I don't mind the idea that, that people have certain kinds of personal information about me, but I care a lot about what they're doing with it and, and, and my ability to opt in or opt out of their schemes matters a lot. But, you know, I, I like that that personal touch of, of of attempting to try to get to know who I am and what I'm interested in because it's going to save me a lot of time if you know those things. Yep, exactly. I was just thinking about this earlier because I was making a list of buzzwords that bother me, and and omnichannel was right up at the top. And one of the reasons I'm so bothered by it is 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 because I think it's falling so short of what it could be. You know, as far as you know, it's so rare to deal with a company. Hmm. We might have lost sound. Oh, there you go. Ah. Okay. Lose you for a I was just about to call you on the. F yeah. Oh, okay. No start, worries. Omnichannel. Well, yeah. So, so you know, the omnichannel thing just frustrates me because it's, it's just I, you know, I can't think of a time recently or in the last year even where a company was able to maintain a consistent relationship with me across channels and touch points, and it just seems like it. 
the technology is there now to make that possible, but it just hasn't happened yet. Um, and it's frustrating when it happens, you know. I mean, it, air, air, tra air, tra air travel is a great example of that, right? Because, you know, you travel enough that you that, that your airline should really be able to get to know you. And yet I see your your travel tweets and you're you're frustrated as hell half the time, you know? I'm, I'm frustrated way more than somebody who travels a million miles should should be. Uh, yep. But it is, there is a very, uh, very interesting learning from that. End result is not really actionable insight or anything. End result is an experience. Right. right. I think if we switch around um, the outcome um, from insight to, to experience, I think the world will change very, very fast. A lot of our solutions are built to provide data, but we don't make the leap from that data to the actual experience of the person consuming the data. Right. I think that is a, a big miss in, in the collective thinking in, in information technology today, right? Or digital transformation or whatever we want to call it. Right? The end result, end outcome is an experience. And it's not big data, it is not cloud, it's not mobile, it's not IoT, it is an experience. All those other things are just ena enablers. But we think of all those other things as the end result most of the time. And this is why things go really, really bad. Yep, well said. We're almost at the end of our taping time and we still can't remember why we decided to do this in the first place. <laughs> it doesn't matter that we couldn't remember yeah. the original purpose of the podcast because this turned out to be just a, a really nice conversation. Yeah, I really enjoyed that, BJ. We did a great job of coming up with other things that were interesting to talk about. And who knows, maybe if we figure out what it was we were going to originally record, we can go back to that yeah. later. But, uh, <laughs> but thanks a lot for sharing that. I'm sure people will enjoy hearing a little more about what you're up to. I, I know they were eager to find out why you went back to IBM. Now they know. And uh, best of luck, man. Yep. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, Vijay. All right.